Welcome back to another highbrow episode of the mostest, good-lookingest horror pod out there on the worldliest, widest of webs. Today, it is time for an absolute classic. It's a film that I love dearly, and way back in December 2021, it made the number two spot for the greatest horror movie, in my opinion, that was released in 1982. It was held off the top spot only by John Carpenter's The Thing. Yep. As you can see from that thumbnail that you've clicked on there and the title of this very episode today, we are going to be chatting about Poltergeist. And unlike those monthly big hitter episodes today, I bring you a mid-month music episode. This is where I will pull out a random record from my pile and then contact said band or solo artist and ask them, Hi, do you like horror? It's not always a yes. In fact, I've missed out on a couple of big names purely because when they got back to me, they said they don't like horror movies. And of course, that's all right. I have a match. I have your records. I know what to do. I mean, what's wrong with them, right? Christ's sake. Anyways, the artist that I will be speaking with today is none other than a drummer. And how I love me a drummer. Yep, the artist that I am chatting with today... Why? It's Creighton Barrett, drummer with indie rock come major label rock band, Band of Horses. I first heard of them 13 years ago when they'd released their third full-length album. It was called Infinite Arms, and I've been a fan ever since. As I record this, they've now got a total of six full-lengths running over a 15-year period in their arsenal, and here's the shocker. Nobody would call you a fool if you opted for the band's very latest effort, called Things Are Great, as their greatest album yet. And there are not many artists that I can lay that accolade at. Creighton himself was utterly fantastic in this chat. And we are going to hit that thing up in a minute. Just after this message. And this message is a message from me. And it's only for you. It is my duty to head you over into the direction of the A Year in Horror Patreon page. For just £4 per month, you not only help keep this show going, but you get a massive stock of content, which is already up there awaiting you to plunder its very being. I'm currently uploading a minimum of four new episodes per month, but right now I am currently very close to having covered all the top tier video nasties. Plus there is this occasional radio show that we do. Uh, We've also begun exploring the ridiculous Amityville franchise. Plus myself and Howard Smith from Talking Bollocks podcast. We've got a series running called A Year in Bollocks. And that is where we chat about an easily accessible film once every month. And then there's also, of course, a stack of odds and sods that we're just going to feel all your horror hunger pangs going forward for the foreseeable. This is demon fueled delightfulness just for the cost of a coffee. You're going to find it all over at patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. Right, it's time to dip straight into this poltergeist chat now. But before that, I do ask Creighton a ton about his music and a ton about art. This conversation was a real interesting insight into the man. And if by any chance you're listening along, fella, well, I want to say thank you one more time. Cheers for giving up some of yours. Don't adjust the television set. 
Your reception's fine, but in their new suburban home, the Freeling family has tuned into something beyond our world. Poltergeist. You'll never look at your television set the same way again. Poltergeist, a Steven Spielberg production, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspapers. Creighton, welcome to the podcast. How are you, young man? I'm great, Paul. Uh, it's a beautiful day here. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, it's like 75. We're getting ready. We're covered in pollen, which happens every year. You get this green dust that covers everything. So everyone's sneezing. All four dogs are just like pfft, pfft, every morning. So other than that, I'm doing great. I'm here in my um, my music room. Got my 76 Vista lights behind me. Wow. My lovely kit. Um, but yeah, man, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Paul. You look super chill. I'm glad about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here in a woolly jumper as we, we're, we're just going through another cold snap here in Canterbury. It's awful. <laughs> Canterbury Tales, baby. Before we go into horror, before we go into Poltergeist, I've got to ask you a few questions. Uh, being a, a manager of bands myself, I often wonder what it was like for other bands. So I'm going to just straight away go there and I'm sorry to bring it up. But there was this large gap between your last two records. Mm-hmm. Was it all due to the pandemic or was that, was that always planned to begin with? Man, I wish it was fucking planned. That'd be cool. I mean, that would, that would actually, that would make it seem as we had a plan for anything that we do, but um, no, you know, it was pretty much in the bag before pandemic. And then, Oh, wow. Ben, Ben ended up going through a pretty gnarly divorce, all that stuff during the pandemic that just hampered it all down. But um, we started off with a, uh, Jason Lytle, our producer, was in a band called Granddaddy. He produced the, the record before that in 2016. And we went back out to California where we did that record and we started it and it just didn't feel right. And Jason was going through some shit. So um, we ended up going with our, our local friend in Charleston, South Carolina, a guy named Wolfgang Zimmerman, um, who we befriended and he was recording a lot of really rad bands in Charleston. And he just had like a really fresh take on what we were trying to do, trying to just some young blood involved. And so we ended up moving producers for one. So that, you know, kind of hampered it, but um, we had it, we had it pre pandemic. We had it where we thought we liked it and we went up to get it mixed and um, it just wasn't there. And then by the time we were just kind of sitting on it, not knowing what to do with it, the fucking pandemic happened. So I wish it was cooler than that, but it was basically us not being able to get out of our own asses about it for one and just not being happy with where the product was at that point, which, you know, ended up being cool because then we, everything shut down and we just kind of had time to rework it. So it's worked out really well in the end. I mean, that it sounds like, I don't know, almost like a a rebirth, like not that you were like dying anyway or anything like that, but it just feels like, I don't know when you've got your favorite bands that you follow and it's like like several albums on sometimes there's a like a rejuvenation that just happens right. within that band and they kick start again uh so you don't get to go stale and that's so rare and you guys must yeah. have been just like oh thank god for that you know because you well, never we, know yeah. when it's gonna happen you hope you hope that's the case right um you know it's funny because a lot of people have said that like oh it sounds like you you went back to your roots or you know the classic music journalist, you know, return to form, the, the, the mighty RTF. And, you know, it's funny because 
you never really, you might change the way you write songs. You might become a better musician while you're doing that or not, but you're always going to write songs the way you know how to write them. And you're not going to, you know, if you, if you, if I feel, if you veer, if you try too hard to veer in a different direction, you're usually going to come up limp, you know? Um, So your environments change. Of course, that's going to influence what you're doing um, and so on. But at the end of the day, it's, it's basically, you know, we were, we were punk kids. We never knew what we were doing. Um, When Ben wrote that first record, he literally, he didn't know how to play guitar. He didn't, he definitely didn't know how to sing. And (laughs) we're either here or there still. We can't, I'm not saying that he's a pro at either one, you know, or any of us involved in the band are, are that great at what we do. It was always just kind of like a lackadaisical, like a wonderment of like little kid style, like just not knowing what to do. We were like punk kids and into punk music and punk bands forever. And we kind of took that ethos with us just in the in the vein of we just don't know what we're doing. So anytime <laughs> we're allowed to make a record for one, we're, I mean, we already kind of, you know, beat the enemy on that. So I'm glad to hear that. But um, at the same time, it's like, you know, you can go back and look at our records and it sometimes it sounds like we're just rewriting the same song. So we tried hard. I'm glad you like it. I'm happy with it. You know, I think that record, I think this record's really cool. Um, I don't think it was, I don't really think it was given its time in the light enough, to be honest, but what, what the fuck are you going to do, you know? Was it, there's this massive gold rush after the pandemic and like everyone's trying to get their five minutes in there. It's real yeah. tricky time. And uh, which brings me to my next thought is like, now you've got this tour coming up later in the year. Are you already now thinking, let's bang on with some new material, seeing this, this is so old, this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Ben is actually in the studio. He was in the studio last week um, with our friend Wolfie, um, who produced this last record. So he's he's I'm happy to to say that he's already back into it and back in it. You know, we have we left like everyone does. You we, you leave the tracks that didn't make the record. So I think he was starting to kind of mine through that and see if it was all shit or if anything was worth exploring or re-releasing. I think we are on track to to really get it going. You know, we still have to learn a lot of the songs off that last record. So <laughs> yeah. we still have a lot of work to do in basically every category before, you know, this late summer tour begins mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, man, I would say, I would say by winter next year, we would probably be in the studio proper and starting to try to crank out some new stuff. It's good news. Uh, yeah. It's good news. Yeah. I, I was hoping that it wasn't a purposeful thing. Um, just because I hate it when there's like those massive Def Leppard sort of gaps between albums. Like, come on, kick yeah. it out. I want it like Kiss in the 70s. Bang, 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 yeah, bang, I mean, bang. I, I mean, except for, you know, unforeseen events, you know, such as the pandemic and stuff. But these days, it's, I mean, this industry has always been crazy. But right now, it's, it's fucking bonkers. Like, you know, like touring is expensive. All these new costs. People still want their cut. It's not easy out there for an artist. And there's people just cranking out music left and right on any kind of platform you can. So it's like, you know, us getting along in the tooth. I mean, we're we're lucky to be here at all and weather the storms that we have weathered, you know? I mean, like right when that first record came out, literally, I mean, it was almost said out loud, like people don't buy records anymore, you know? So we met, we kind of missed that. We got into it. Like, you know, radio stations weren't playing records. Like 
streaming service, streaming services weren't around, but our radio was getting into like indie movies and like the, like the cheesy indie shows that was like the OC and stuff like that. The American shows that was our radio, you know, at that point in time. And that was brand new. So it's like, we're on sub pop record coming out knowing and being told like no one buys records anymore. And we're a record band. Like we, you know, we try our best to make singles, but at the end of the day, we're kind of like a full record kind of band. So it's also just navigating and being lucky that we're still in the mix whatsoever. It's, you know, it's just, it's a crazy fucking industry. I discovered you via a magazine. I think it was Mojo or one of those like sort of big monthly ones over here. And gave gave you like the, the album of the month. And whenever there was an album of the month, I would just go in blind and get it. Yeah, for sure. And it was the album cover that was just like, oh, okay, I love it. So this is Infinite Arms back in like 2010, maybe? 2010, 2011. Yeah, yeah, around that time, a long time ago. But that's when, that was my in. And then I found out you were on Sub Pop beforehand. And I was like, oh, wow, there's a band I can get into and dig into. As usual, everyone's got their other ways of getting into bands. But what really, what I really loved about it was the aesthetic, the artwork, as you would go into a shop and you would see that on the shelf. Knowing that you are an artist, knowing that your passion is art, do you have any say in any of that stuff? Uh, And is it something that you will sort of back or say, well, hang on, what about this? Yeah, of course. Um, I got really involved with the art off the last record. The art on the record before that was was a really funny story. It's actually the art that I have on this, this kick drum right here, which was the Why Are You OK record cover. This is one of the versions of it. And we were in Barcelona and we were having margaritas on one of those awesome beaches. It, it was a festival. It wasn't Primavera, but it was on the same site, you know? Wow, right. Okay. It's a really beautiful setting and it's on the beach and you know, on the ocean. And we're sitting there and we're having a drink. You know, we, we didn't have to play for a few hours. And uh, we saw this this couple and, you know, the woman's topless because it's it's Barcelona. But there's this couple that's basically just doing like a sun salutation. Their eyes are covered and they're just standing there. But they stood there for like 45, 50 minutes. And we're like, what? And, you know, us not being into yoga or, you know, into taking care of your body at all at that point especially um we didn't know what they're doing we were just like we we're totally taken by it. like what are they what are they up to and so we snapped a couple of pics with cell phones and we knew just how the whole thing was surrounding at that point like we want that to be the record cover and our management at the time was like well there's no way if the people see it they can sue they can't you know you can't clear it like oh well, that's a bummer and you know, still kind of holding on to it. And then we had, um, we ended up, you know, we love pavement so much as a band. And uh, we ended up having Steve Keen, who does, who did like Wowie Zowie and has done a lot of other record covers, a lot of music involved um, art. Um, we had him do his, which are these right here, which I have two of them because. Wow. Right. And that rad. Yeah. So. You know, the way Steve Keen does his art is he basically has a, he does it like factory style. He sets up like, I want to say he does 12, like 12 frames at a time. So he sets them up and he just hits, he goes down the line and just hits them up. And they're all different, but he's doing, you know, doing basically the same thing to him. So he makes like this little, you know, hard labored <laughs> um, assembly line basically of his art. So we have Steve Keen doing it. We're getting, we're like, wow, it's crazy. Steve Keen did the art. Like this is going to be rad. 
And then last minute before the arts do, our management's like, oh, you can go ahead and use the photo. It's not that big of a deal. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, so we ended up buying, you know, paying Steve Keen to wow. do it, which is amazing. But now, you know, ben, both Ben and I have all of them, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I always kind of tinker with it. I'm like, uh, if I give this, like, I have to give one to someone that really fucking knows this Steve Keen story, you know, or something like that. So I haven't given any, given any of them away. But on this last record, long way around to your question, sorry. But on this last record, I had a lot to do with the team who we had doing the art for it. And this is another funny thing, the same fucking, I, the same story, basically. Ben is what we call a weather daddy, <laughs> which right. is, he's always on his phone, like, you know, especially when we're on tour, because it's a, like during festival season, because you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere, you're in a field or something. And, you know, and it can get canceled, you know, especially in, in the States, because you have tornadoes, you have all these like crazy weather systems in our States. You could hail in the middle of summer somewhere, you know. So he had he follows this weather feed on Twitter, and it was from South Carolina. Um, and I'm talking about the record cover off the new record, but um, he fell in love with this picture, which was like this crazy, just because of the way the storm went through, and the the sunset is basically behind the house. It's like it's glowing. It's like looks like poltergeist. It looks like this yes, rain down. You know, this whole demonic thing or this beautiful thing is fighting off evil or whatever. But we couldn't track down that person to get the rights to use a photo. So I just like the story I told previously, we and the art team were going at it, trying to like trying to figure out like, is this the vibe? Is this is the vibe. And it was pretty arduous. Like it took a long time. And definitely filled up a lot of fucking resources that we weren't planning on. And then again, last minute, we found the fucking people and the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's my mom's house. You know, like, I'll get in touch with her, see if you can use it. And of course, she was fine with it, you know, but same idea. But yeah, like, I, I love I love to get involved in that stuff. You know, I'm finally as a as an old person, finally getting into the digital side of things, which, you know, everyone has to use these days. So I've just I've just started doing that. I'm starting a, a skate and surf lifestyle company with my best friend, and so I've had to you know do a crash course and learning all that kind of stuff too. So now maybe I can get a little bit more involved. Besides, like here's a photo of the piece of art I made you. You know, like good luck. Try to try to scan that. You know, but I do love it. I love art. I love record art. You know, that's one of the the first art things I can remember as as a kid is is looking at LPs and being like man, this shit's rad, you know, like, especially like the bifold and all that kind of stuff. So yep. I do, I do love it. The art and music has, you know, it's, it's, it's symbiotic to me. So. It's so important. I think going forward, if you're gonna, if you're gonna put something out there, why not just do every single thing, the whole package? You know, yeah. And there's like, that's like the punk, the punk kid ethos too. You know, it's like, if you can get it all done, like just the feeling of that is pretty badass. You're just like, we had a hand in everything. You know, but it's also at the same time, some people are so good at it, you know, like you try to just give them, they give them the task about doing it. But I think these days it seems more people, the record covers that you probably like the most, the artist had a lot more to do with it, you know, or were moved by that piece and contacted the artist. And, you know, I would like to think that there's not a lot of jobs where people are just like, oh, don't worry about this. We'll get someone else to do it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to have your brain in it involved at all, which would suck. So. What about your work? Um, I, I read one of the last things I read before reaching out to you was that you 
had just had or were just about to do your own solo show how did that feel you're normally within this sort of comfort maybe a comfort blanket of a band but at least you've got your friends and fellow musicians around you this is you putting yourself out there how was that it was fantastic <laughs> it, worked, <laughs> it worked out really well I mean I also chose the whole idea was my friend who owns the studio in which it was showed in in town I wanted to tie in the music thing to it so when we're on the road I carry like a, a bunch of of cardstock which is just really thick um construction paper because I don't like carrying right. paint I really don't like paint at all to be honest but so I'm always drawing on tour I like a few years ago I was kind of like you know getting older starting to take care of myself better I don't need to be out getting loaded in some random town I mean I got two kids and a wife so it's like you know daddy's out in fucking Austin Texas getting fucking railed you know like so I I knew I needed some kind of discipline and I just started drawing a lot more and, you know, the band would start using the designs for t-shirts and stuff like that. And things for, you know, like for the gift packages for, for the records and stuff like that. So it was getting more involved. I knew like it wasn't just going to, you know, sit around. I could probably find some use for it at that point. People were kind of showing interest about buying things and I started selling things. And around then I learned, so I basically have the paper and it's, I guess it's, it's what well, it is collage style because I draw and then I cut that out with X-Acto knife. So I don't use colors. I use the color of the paper as the colors of the art. So it's, you know, it's technically a collage. So I do do that on the road. And when I got home and we had a break for a while, I, uh, I realized I could use a jigsaw and bandsaw and stuff. And I could take those drawings and I could turn, I could use wood instead of paper. So they have like, like, here's one right here. Like, so they're just big pieces of wood and i put these little doors on all of them (laughs) yes but um so i learned i could do that basically making cheap perspective you know so i didn't have to deal with getting the perspective right and such like that but so the tie-in for the art show was we had this we're on the tour opening for the black keys for like four months and like three different legs. And then we finished by going to Europe right before um, mid-November, I guess, of this last year. So my idea is like, look, I'm gonna take all the art that I did on those tours and I'm gonna come home and turn those into the wood pieces and that's gonna be the show. So it was it was tied to the band still, you know, which was kind of also like maybe too afraid to leave that safety net. Like, right. I'm not sure if the art could stand on itself if people didn't know I played drums in the band, you know, so right. I was using the band cheaply, but um, it went great. It was a, a success. Um, I sold a lot of it. Um, and, you know, those kind of things, they generate, you know, new business within, you know, finally people finally see it out there and they're like, oh, I think I like this. The only problem that I encountered was I made them all so fucking big. And they're so heavy. It's just like I made this one of a bear, of one of the drawings I did on tour, and the bear is eight, eight and a half feet tall. So that <laughs> one's living. That one's living downstairs in the living room. And my wife's like, "You got to get that fucking thing out of here." I'm like, "I'm trying. I'm trying to get like find a hotel or restaurant that wants to buy it." You know, I'm like, <laughs> "There's no way a person wants that in their house." So I'm like, "You got to find some kind of business." that wants it so i am sitting on a few pieces right now if you know anybody i can't ship them because they're so fucking heavy so 
but yeah, it was fun, man. It worked, it worked out well. It was great. I'm glad to hear it. It's one of those things when I saw that bear one that you're talking about, I was just like, whoa. And I love yeah. it when like I discover a new art artist and like you do, there's a website so I can go on, I can check the history of them and see yeah. what's going on. So yeah, it was really interesting to see, oh, you've got this whole other thing. I love that you're still using the band as a little bit of a crutch though. I love oh, yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are now going to go to horror. Um, but before yes. we do, I always ask a, a musician that will come on the show. And it's going to be tricky maybe for you guys. But let's have a look. So the most horror of your songs, what would you say will go nicely into the next part of the chat? I guess you probably have to go with the funeral, right? <laughs> there's death involved. But it's actually the song's not about death, but there's death in the title. So let's go there. Look at that. That's professional right there. Yeah, see, right? I told you. I'm really good at it. <laughs> right. Okay. The reason why I reached out was because I've got favorite drummers. I don't know why I'm so attracted to drummers uh, with regards to my listening habits and things like that. If a drummer doesn't cut it, I'm just, I'm not interested onto the next band. And there's always this thing with you and the way that you play that just like sort of keeps me hooked within a record and yeah, from beginning to end. So that's why I've come to you. But this is a horror podcast. What's your history with horror? Where's it begin? Where's it end? Oh, man. You know, being a kid, I was born in 78. So um, being a kid in the 80s, it was, you know, it was kind of hard to escape, you know, or not be a part of it. There was so much rad stuff as a kid. And I had my parents... Um, they were great parents, but I think maybe I saw, maybe I had a little too much freedom early right. on with, with movies and such. Like there's this story my mom and dad have um, about me and somehow, I guess it all kind of starts with getting a VCR, right? Because obviously they wouldn't take me to see horror films in the movie theater. They were that good of parents at least. <laughs> but um, I, um, 
at one point, after we got a VCR, I remember watching, they were watching The Shining. And I remember watching it to the point where I guess it was on Christmas break. So when I went back to school and the teacher asked, um, you know, everyone come up and say what they did over Christmas break and blah, blah, blah. So I got up there and I got confused about the movie. And I told the teacher that my dad chased me in an ice maze with an ax. <laughs> so the teacher told my parents, like had a, you know, a conference call or had my, my parents come in. She's like, I think he was describing the shining and I think he's a little too young to see it, you know? Like, so I guess that's probably where it really first started. Um, my dad was, uh, was really into sci-fi. So, um, there is a good bit of that stuff kind of already going on, you know, and it wasn't so much slasher stuff at first. Um, but eventually we got to the point where me and my friends would know my parents would drop me off, drop us off to go see a movie and we would time it so we could go sneak in and see, you know, nightmare on Elm street or Friday the 13th. Yeah. So it started really, really young, but you know, even at home, they didn't really, you know, edit what we saw too much. You know, I saw, you know, I remember when I first saw The Fly. I got obsessed with Cronenberg and that kind of stuff. I remember when I, they let me rent Videodrome and it just blew my fucking mind. So, um, yeah. I so still it's can't weird. figure out that film, let alone back then. It's so insane. Cronenberg <laughs> is so, so insane. But yeah, it started, it started early, you know, like, and it was, I've, in my, if my memory serves me right, I just remember, I remember always going in the horror section of, you know, the video store um as a kid and just staring at those covers and being like oh my god you know what is this and oh, i gotta try to get this and maybe find someone else's parents who would let them get it and we go over there and watch it but yeah it was pretty early for me and it's still i mean still we we love horror where our kids like our favorite our kids favorite christmas movie is gremlins my son who is seven his favorite movie is alien the alien movies like so we are kind of going in the same direction, maybe showing them stuff a little too early, but it's, we love it. We love it as a family. It's a tricky thing when you're a parent yourself and when you figure out, oh, hang on, I was doing that at that age. I don't want my kids doing that at that age. No I know. Way. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's also, it's just like, you're like, well, we ended up being okay. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it turned out all right. I think yeah. it turned out all right. Um, was Poltergeist amongst this uh, early batch of films for you? Did you have like the VHS and things like that? Absolutely. And I was trying to think earlier, and I just, there was no way for me to 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 resolve it. But I was trying to think if we rented it on VHS or at this point, we also had HBO. So home box office was killing it. You know, like they had they would play the best movies. So it's either one of those. But I did I did see it early on and I still we watched it. My family and I watched it last night just to, to brush up, but um, it was definitely, and still is, I, like stylistically, the the actors, all of it, I love it so much. And I, I think it looks great still. The special effects are, but, you know, I mean, you got, you got Toby Hooper, you know, like, I mean, there's just so many other rad ties if you go down those wormholes with that movie. But that's the thing. When I was younger, it was the effects that would pull me in. But when yeah. I watched that film as an adult, I love the relationship stuff with the parents. Like Absolutely. it feels real and it, it feels like fun. I, I want to hang out with them. 
I know she like the my favorite part is when she's rolling a J of that like crappy crap like crappy cigar box full of grass you know I'm like it's so cute to me like they're in their underwear like having a good time like I don't know that I really like that whole vibe well you mentioned the effects so I, I I read a couple of things just over the past couple of weeks when I was thinking right let's go for a re- rewatch of this thing and it's interesting to me because Steven Spielberg's involvement as producer and things like that like mm-hmm. there was a lot of work with ILM which I didn't realize yeah. at the time and like just knowing that that spinny record thing when they open the room and everything's spinning around took them nine months to complete that yeah, scene dude. yeah intense that's mad yeah and that scene that scene still looks rad like, I love it. That's that's like the the second time all that's or you know it's so funny how they're like well for, for one we were saying we were all talking about last night it's like yeah we're not going to call the police we're just gonna, like once she goes once she gets taken to the other dimension which they can't even fathom yet like we're just going to close that room you know the experts come in or whatever and that room all that's still going on in that room like it's so trippy to think about like just that one room just the doors closed but like i wouldn't go in there if i were you <laughs> yeah, i love um, it it's so funny just like we're not going to get the police involved at all with our daughter who's missing inside of our house we're going to go to the college and get some of these these paranormal freaks to come in and see what they say it's really funny i put it to you Grayton. right i put it to you you come home one day and a chair moves on its own okay and you figure it out what do you do at that point? Do you follow the same route? I was actually thinking that same thing last night, and I'm pretty sure we would probably do the same thing. We'd probably put my youngest Bowie. We'd probably sit him down, like, "What's this? Look at this!" For sure. I think they. I think they went. That was a, the proper protocol. I exactly do. right. And I mean, as a kid, I would watch that, and I would just be fascinated. I would just be like, it would open this whole world of like movies. Is really taking me out of my sort of youth my existence as a a kid dealing with problems with parents or whatever I could actually go away because this was a fantastical thing that was just so beautiful to watch and then Mm -hmm. within the next few moments it's terrifying because all those chairs are on that table how the hell did that happen yeah that was that's brilliant editing that whole that whole scene is so magical and you know all those scenes those early scenes there's so much sunlight you know it's like it makes it scarier because it's like it's just it's during the day it's in their kitchen like it's just it's for some reason like that I don't know you have this thing where only the only the creepy stuff happens at dark you know but it's like this is full daylight in the morning before the kids or just after the kids go to school it's like oh crap you're not safe of anything you know like it could happen at any time, any time of day, which makes it extra terrifying. I like. So I looked into it, as I said, and I, I, I saw it must have won some sort of award. Uh, but it, the only thing it got nominated for here was like the best effects. And it was up against Blade Runner and E.T. Mm. Uh, saying that's hard. And E.T. won in the end. So, yeah, yeah I, I can it. sort of see that. I can see yeah. that. But it, oh, I can't take anything I mean, away Blade from Run- it. How rad Blade Runner is, too. Holy crap. I mean, geez. <laughs> saw that really early on as well so you know dad being into sci-fi it was you know that movie's beautiful well this is the film that most people especially that are listening to this episode here will already know this film i've got to ask you the only bit that sort of bugs me about it is the ending i just wonder how you feel about it are you satisfied with that still today when you watched it recently 
Yeah, I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, just because I think in the back of the head, I know part two happens. And right. I think part two is almost even more terrifying because of the preacher guy. <laughs> like I was telling my kids last night after we, we ended it, I was like, well, look at that, like, look at part two, you know, and they actually didn't think he was serious. They actually thought he looked like my, my stepdad. So I was like, that, that's on you. But um, <laughs> I thought, I thought too was a little bit scary just because of that dude. But no, I think, I kind of think the ending's cool. I think, I mean, looking back on it now, you kind of know that little girl is, what they attach themselves to so i think you like you're going to be screwed either way like they already got they already got a, a taste for her so there's no getting away from whatever you're trying to get away of it cost a quarter of a million to do that final shot that sucking of the house into yeah. uh, to another dimension or in, i don't know what the where the hell it was going to a black hole but like i just thought what an effect and like today it looks a little bit dated right uh, i say a little bit quite a lot dated but I just remember at the time being, oh, I wish it didn't finish that way. I wish there was, I wish there was something else. And I was speaking to another person that um, we spoke about Poltergeist 2 recently. And there was like, well, how else can you finish that? How else yeah. would you complete this film? Yeah. Uh, I also think you're spot on about Kane from the sequels. Scary, yeah. more scary than anything in this film, I think. Yeah, for sure, dude. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the back of my head, I always, for some reason, always thought it was like the Indian burial ground aspect of it. But I think I was getting that mixed up with Pet Cemetery. But the, you know, when they, they finally find out the guys like you are like, you, you didn't move the bodies or whatever, you know, like and you, it all comes into it all comes into what's actually happening. You know, so I, I, I kind of think, you know, what happened in that neighborhood? You know, <laughs> did everybody else just get the hell out of there or like, <laughs> I was like OK, we're cool. We're not going to worry about it. I'll keep living here, which is pretty bonkers. So yeah, like, I mean, yeah, watching a house just get sucked into oblivion. I don't know. I mean, they're like, you know, when the the little um, um, the little lady, well, I guess what her title, the spiritualist or whatever. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. And it's so rad. But like she, was, I was watching it last night, and it was like when she just starts dropping what's going down on them, like how hard that would be to accept <laughs> like okay so your kid's been taken to another dimension and these people who are not ready to move on are hanging out with her and but also there's a really really negative energy that's posing as a child that's really holding on to her so it's like oh so we're talking we're talking demonic right we're talking yeah. some kind of gnarly stuff and the parent like just i imagine just that load being dropped on you as a parent you just be like what the fuck, you know? And she explains it so calmly. And it's actually really interesting because, I mean, before that, you you know, it's a haunting. You don't really know what's going on. But when she starts dropping all that science and all that faith stuff, and you're just like, that's really interesting. That's a really, I mean, that's got to be a crazy curve to get greenlit, I would think. Yeah, right. You know, like it's, that's really deep, you know? I think if it was just Hooper, it would have been a no. But that's right. that Spielberg money, yeah. money, money. Yeah, that that was the one. I agree. I think as a child watching it, as I say, it opened my mind to so many things, and um, because it feels kid friendly still when I watch it today. I, I I wonder if that's like part of the ploy. I wonder if it's like ah, oh, this is okay. I mean, any the thing about it, anytime the child's involved, and and especially in the horror thing, it's just uh -huh. like you get you. I mean, it might be easier 
to use it. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely something that pulls people in because the innocence factor. And then it's just basically where you take it from there, you know, like, especially if the, the that kid held so much power in that movie, you know, not even speaking of the curse, which I'm sure we'll get into of all that stuff. But like, yeah. that was, I don't know. I was trying to think of other movies that were, if not horror, like even darker that involved children. And there was like Firestarter and Stephen King and that kind of stuff out there too. But I was trying to think of like when, maybe one of the first movies where kids were were used in like, you know, in some kind of negative, like horror aspect or something like that. And I couldn't really think of any of them. Well, I'm sure they, they run back, but this was the the first time that I noticed anyway, growing up where it was, could have been myself in that situation, which is like, obviously you have to be of a specific age um, yeah. which I, I presume is sort of our age where, you know, yeah. it's just like one of those things, well, this could be me. And I, that's why we related to it so much. I mean, there was yeah. years upon years where I would rate this as like, there was The Shining, there was Nightmare on Elm Street, and then there was Poltergeist. And this was my like trinity of films. Like, wow. don't, don't touch it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. And it, it seems it's probably, like, it it probably like that twice saw The Gate, you know, it's like, oh, little, little Steven Dorf, you know, yeah. like. Because the gate, I thought, I thought the after seeing Poltergeist, I thought the gate was pretty terrifying. I was like, oh, fuck, you know, but anyway. Well, it also included music in that one, which is, of course, going to bring you in as soon as you start and listen to your rock records and things like yeah, that. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. And you get some the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned it. Let's talk about this curse just, just a little. Like, I saw this thing on Shudder, which pulled apart the curse. And just like any curse, it's, it can be all happenstance, you know. Yeah. This is just just we can't a, a that this happened there. Yeah, of course. But it is interesting of how much stuff and how much weight was on this film, especially with the actress that plays Carol Ann, uh, mm. and it's just like the unfortunate events that just happened throughout this film. Yeah. Makes me wonder if just that negative energy, which does surround a project like this is just self-perpetuating you know it's just going to roll roll out did you ever think things like that as a kid did you think there was a dark aura around a film i remember the exorcist i wouldn't go near it yeah i remember i don't i don't think i saw the exorcist so i was much older so i don't know i mean i don't think it was a parental guidance kind of thing but i think i was afraid of it because there was so much stigma attached to it you know but then i remember i didn't i didn't become wary of poltergeist's curse or whatever for a long time either so i mean to me at that point it was still just one of my favorite movies you know but yeah like it yeah like you said it can be easily looked at like natural occurrences but i don't know there's a i think a bunch of sketchy stuff happened on set too like people almost died on set which probably happens more than you know about anyway on any movie yeah um yeah, it just, it just, I mean, you can't tell me it doesn't make it better, you know, thinking about like, because that movie means so much to me and so much to you. It's like, you kind of want the, we want to believe in that curse because it seems so gnarly. That's it. I love with any of these things, the more content that I can get, I hate that word, but it's really true. I just want all that. How can I say it? Nostalgia does play a huge part in my 80s rewatches and just yeah. adds little, little bits onto this collective 
thought that I have about the film, I love that. But going yeah. forward, like modern films, I'm just happy with the film. You know, it's it's just right. weird that those those monuments yeah, of your being youth. a kid. Yeah, you know, you hold on to those things. They're so precious to you, you know, like all those movies. I mean, those movies shaped me as to, as the person that I am now, like completely, you know, like whether it would be the age I saw him at. I mean, you probably had a lot to do with it, obviously. But I mean, that my my world, much like yours, I mean, our, I had a peaceful upbringing, but the, those things, those movies were mine. Those, those were like the worlds that that I wanted to be in, you know, and there's, I mean, even like the action movies of that time, you know, like big trouble in little China, all those movies, like those are like, those are the worlds I wanted to be in, you know, yeah. like I felt safe there and not that I didn't feel safe anywhere else, but it was just like, I don't know. They, they weren't just movies to me, you know, like they're just like the style and the older you get, you realize, you know, not knowing specifics or technical terms as a kid necessarily, unless you really, you know, went for that, which I didn't, you're realizing why you like things as an adult. Like, oh, I love those colors. Like, it's probably because that was your favorite t-shirt, yeah. you know, in some movie as a kid. And you, I bet if you fit, if you follow it back, it, it is, you know, like, oh, I really like that motorbike, you know? Like, well, that's an 85, you know? Like, of course you like that motorbike. So that's a motorbike that you wanted when you are a kid, you saw in a movie. So it is, you know, the movies are like records like that. I mean, nostalgia is, it's 100% nostalgia. Which brings me to a final question, but I'm going to give you my thoughts first because I'm interested in your answer to that. So I do uh, I do tend to ask this, but I'm really interested in your take on it. So I've asked yeah. you to pair a film with Poltergeist and we'll get to yours in a minute. For me, I'm going to say it's the, the sequel, or not the sequel, should we say, the remake from 2015, Poltergeist again. Uh, did you see that one? I did, and I don't remember it. So I need to watch it. That's the thing. I think it's a perfect way of looking at what is wrong with that whole idea between commerce, pure, purely making art for commerce reasons, and then actually having some art within your art. You know, whether it right. be music, whether it be uh, film, it doesn't matter. Whether it be a painting, if you're doing something and there's that buck behind it and that's what's going to be the creative urge i just think you're going to get poltergeist 2015 i think if you've nice. got this original idea uh, and you you know you want to use the system to make this idea as brilliant as you can that's your original part of guys that's how i oh, feel about that exactly yeah for sure i was thinking about this and the it's a little bit dorky but i was thinking about this before i researched it and not that i dove too deep into it but I'd probably pair it with the Amityville movie. Awesome. And once I thought about that, I went and checked dates, but then figured out that Poltergeist, the, the movie, the premise was about the, the Herman house, which is only seven miles from the Amityville house. Did not know that. Isn't that crazy? That's mad. So the Herman house where they have, they had Poltergeist activity. Suppose there's like, over 20 eyewitness accounts, including police officers, watching things break and be thrown around a room to this family that lived in the house. Wow. And it was only seven miles away from the Amityville house where all that stuff happened. So I would pair it with Amityville one or maybe even Amityville two as well. Yeah, they're, they're, um, those are pretty terrifying the... too, though. 
you know, like anytime it's like whatever is in under your house is going to possess you and make you want to kill people or kill your family, like pretty gnarly. As a, as a child, I couldn't even get through the opening music of Amityville. It was it's so scary. scary. It's still so scary. And one more thing about the poltergeist, which I didn't, I figured out, or I learned of a few years ago because I saw Joe Beth Williams interview the skeletons. Do you know this, this crazy fact? I think I do. Yeah. The skeletons in the pool scene when she's in the pool are real skeletons and no one told them that. And supposedly is because it was more expensive to make rubber skeletons at that point in the movie industry than it was to use actual human skeletons, which is so mind blowing. Like that is so next level bonkers that it was something that would never fly today, obviously, but man, that's crazy. Also the crazy thing about that, like, we're just gonna do this and not tell anybody. I love it. Yeah, up until the Goonies, I think with the Goonies, they actually, because it was children there as well, and they'd learned their lessons a little bit from Poltergeist. Yeah. That was when they started it. But all those films beforehand, it's always real a real fun. skeleton. <laughs> There's just no way you could do that anymore, dude. That's so crazy. Brayton, thank you so much for coming on, man. Dude, Paul, thanks for having me. It was a blast, man. I'm glad you, you know, when I chose this one, I was like, oh, he's going to hate me. He probably hates Poltergeist. No you know, way. So, so many other crazy choices. But yeah, like I said, it's, I think we both agree the same things about it. It's just like, I don't know. It was a, it was a good, good time to be alive to see that movie. Once again, many, many, many thanks to Creighton Barrett for coming onto the show to discuss horror with me. The band's most recent album is out now on BMG, and also head over to the band's socials to check out where they are currently playing live. Plus, if you're so inclined and you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash a year in horror and join up. Or you can just simply head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, give me some friendly words and a virtual hug, or send me an email maybe at ayearinhorror at gmail.com and let me know what artist that you'd like me to speak with about horror. You never know, maybe our tastes intertwine and I'll reach out. Whatever you want to do, do it deliciously. And until next time around, stay sick. <laughs>